Hi, uh, my name's Joanne, and we're doing the second Bible reading, which is from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1 to 28, and that's on page 1,259 of your pew Bibles, so you can follow along on the screen behind me. Worship in the earthly tabernacle. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing this by this, that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. When Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the, of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves, together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence." nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man was destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This is God's word. Well, good morning. 
and please keep your Bibles open as we work through God's Word this morning. But first of all, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious Word. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is your word that goes out from your mouth. It will not return to you empty, but will accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. Father, we pray, as we are nourished by your word now, that through your Holy Spirit, you give us understanding and transform us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For all of us here today, we bring an emotional mixed bag of recent joys and trials. Some of us are even stuck, not knowing how to deal with guilt and shame. For when did each of us last have a sin flashback? I wonder what it was like. Perhaps we were simply in a certain location or talking to someone. It triggered a memory of a blatant lie, a heated argument, or something we should not have seen or done. Stolen something, raw anger, or had lust in our heart, a damaged relationship. The sense of guilt is so potent we cringe. Maybe this plunges us into a list of horrible things in our past, then wondering how I will speak again. Do I pull back from serving or even from life itself? John Bunyan in his allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, gives imagery to this of the slough of despond, a swamp of despair, where the pilgrim named Christian at the start of his quest sinks as if in a swamp under the burden of his sins and his sense of guilt for them. He wrote, This slough cannot be filled. It is where the filth from sin continually runs. It is called the slough of despond because when the sinner is made aware of his lost condition, there arises in his soul many fears and doubts that settle here. Isn't that like our feet being caught in a mix of mud and quicksand. I suspect each of us remember the horrible feelings of guilt over our sins. How can we be free from being struck with a guilty conscience? If you are feeling this way, what do we do when shame refuses to go away? This chapter we are working through today from God's word prescribes the most precious remedy as the gift from God for us. Also, as we study the passage today, to help understand the difference between the old and new covenant, let's ask ourselves three questions as we go through it. Who, what, and the outcome? But first of all, let's go through the opening verses, so please be looking in your, in your Bibles. In these opening verses, why is such detail about the Old Covenant here? For what does the Old Covenant law reveal? The numerous commands, warnings, regulations, clean versus unclean practices, 
One purpose is to teach us, just as it did the Israelites, how holy and just God is. Moreover, how we sin against God each day, consciously and in ignorance. The earthly sanctuary, the tabernacle, or the place of meeting, symbolised the place where, for the Israelites in the desert, their holy God dwelt amongst them. It was a place where they could offer blood sacrifices to atone, make right for their sins against God. The most holy place was the inner room of the tabernacle where God dwelt among them. Only the high priest, once per year, could enter to offer animal blood sacrifice to God for the people and himself because of their sins. The priests, including even the high priest, were not allowed into the full presence of God, i.e. the most holy place, because in verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing the way to God's presence had not yet been revealed. Do we see here how the old covenant was always going to be temporary, that a full relationship with God was not possible, that it was pointing to a better way? What was to be one of the time markers? From verse 8, we learn when the first tabernacle no longer stood. God brought about the destruction of the temple and the old system of worship shortly after Christ's death and resurrection. This was by way of the Roman army's destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. God, in his eternal plan, did away with the old order. It was no longer possible for people to observe it and he provided the new covenant. And do we see here in verse 9 and 10 that the gifts and sacrifices were not able to clear the consciences of the worshippers. Gifts and sacrifices were inadequate and imperfect. Let's ask ourselves, what would our modern equivalent attempt be to deal with our guilty consciences? Good works? Live a moral life? Being religious? Thinking we are better than others? Or even more, in our pride and arrogance, construct a false god as not a holy god of justice but only of love with virtually everyone going to heaven by multiple paths with a threshold eligibility bar to be a good person hovering just above I have not murdered someone or committed a major crime. Now imagine if you were one of the priests in the old order you love your people and your God. Yet you know the sacrificial system is only an outward atoning for your sin, temporary and does not clear the consciences of the worshippers. How much more would you be looking forward to God's promised Messiah and his new order? The old order was temporary. In some ways it is like when Lynn and I brought our tiny weatherboard house. It served its purpose for a while, but we intended it to be temporary. We eventually demolished it and built a new permanent home fit for our family. So the old covenant, the who were the priests, the what was animal sacrifice blood to pay a penalty for sin, and the outcome was inadequate, 
as it did not permanently deal with sin, nor did it wash the guilty conscience. It did not deal with our insides. It did not bring us into full relationship with God. If this was not the solution, and we are still stuck with our seared consciences, how do we deal with guilt and shame? So we ask, what is this new order? Verse 11 takes us straight to this. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, the new covenant, not the old temple of not the old order of temple sacrifice. And are you wondering why Jesus is referred to simply here as Christ? It is to emphasize he is the sent one from God, the promised one, God's Messiah. Jesus did it as Christ, anointed of God. What did Jesus do? Jesus went through the more perfect tabernacle, not of this creation. He went through heaven itself by means of his death. Not the old way of a physical temple, but the heavenly way. Now, do we see here in verse 12 that he did not enter heaven by means of blood of goats and calves? He did it by his own perfect blood as high priest and sacrifice as one, obtaining eternal redemption once for all. Once completely sufficient, never needed to be repeated, for all who will receive salvation, for all their sins. How much better is the new order? Verse 13 and 14 highlights the old covenant blood sacrifices only gave temporary outward cleansing. In comparison, how much more, so much more superior than will the blood of Christ who, through the eternal spirit, offered himself. This was a spiritual and physical sacrifice. The blood of Christ who offered himself himself, not just his physical death, but willingly giving all of himself, his mind, his body, his glory as the Son of God. Unblemished to God, a perfect sacrifice. Do we understand what this means? Jesus is the only one who God could perfectly accept in his holiness and justice to cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death not only are our sins which would lead to judgment and death washed away but our guilty consciences of such sins are also cleansed we are fully ransomed and set free from the debt of sin why so that we may serve the living god what best expression, gratitude and love can we have for our release from the bondage of sin and guilt than to serve and offer ourselves in service to our rescuer, our saviour, redeemer, our God. 
Imagine you and a friend are escaping down a narrow train tunnel. Suddenly, an oncoming train looms. Your friend thrusts you into the shallow wall depression sufficient for one person. Your friend dies so that you may live. Your emotions are bursting with gratitude. If you can feel even a hint of emotion from such an image, how much more gratitude we have for what Jesus has actually done for us. What is the outcome of Christ's sacrifice? Let's come to verse 15. For this reason, because of what Christ has done, he is the mediator of the new covenant, the gospel, the good news, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Christ intercedes, mediates perfectly on behalf of those who are called because he was fully human, appointed as high priest, fully divine and without sin. Our eternal inheritance is salvation, eternal life with God. Christ has died as the perfect sacrifice necessary to release us from sins committed under the first covenant. We are set free by Christ paying the sacrifice for the judgment our sins deserve. Do we see here in verse 16, like a will, this new covenant came into place through death, shedding of blood to grant an eternal inheritance. Now we ask, what is all this referencing to blood? In verse 19, we are pointed to the old order where Moses took the blood of calves and sprinkled the people. Moses said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. The distinct parallel is Jesus' words at the Lord's Supper. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The necessity for blood? In verse 22, we see this need for purification by blood is from the law of God. And we read from Leviticus chapter 17, for the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And here in Hebrews 9:22 it is repeated, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Substitutionary sacrifice, shedding of life blood for the sinner. For God made his first covenant with a sinful people. He instructed them to offer blood sacrifices to meet the penalty for their sins. However, as they rebelled, God said in Jeremiah 31, he would make a new covenant with his people and would remember their sins no more. The old order was temporary, the new order heavenly with permanent forgiveness. So did Christ just perform an equivalent version of the old covenant or was he vastly superior? The next few verses answer this. We ask ourselves from verse 23, who are these heavenly things that need better heavenly sacrifices 
than these earthly sacrifices. The next verse, 24, answers, Christ, the perfect heavenly sacrifice, entered heaven for us. For Christ did not enter any earthly sanctuary that was a mere copy of the true heavenly one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he have to keep repeating it inadequately, as the priests used to, for in verse 26, he appeared once for all. Once is perfectly sufficient. Christ called out, it is finished, when he died upon the cross for us. For all heirs of this covenant for all time. For Christ's work is for all ages, by grace alone. We see here in verse 26 that Christ's redemptive work applies for all God's people since the beginning of creation. For if Christ had been no more than an earthly high priest, he would have had to, we read, suffer many times since the creation of the world. He has come at the end of the ages, in this age, before Christ comes again to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Sin has been cancelled by Christ's sacrifice. He removed the debt of sin that was written on each believer's account. The account now has the words paid in full. Do we feel the gravity of that? no longer stuck with the burden of guilt and shame. The debt from our rebellion has, against God has been fully forgiven forever. Now, in these final verses in the passage, do we see a parallel comparison here in verse 27, just, and verse 28, so. Just as man dies, so Christ died. However, what are the vastly different outcomes? Our lot under the slavery and awareness of sin is just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. We are destined by God, appointed to live one earthly life, to die once and then certain to face judgment. What is our possible release? our way to escape judgment from a holy and just God for our sins, for our rebellion against him during our one earthly life. Also, what is this judgment we are certain to face? In the next chapter we are told, in chapter 10, verse 27, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. What is our rescue? We see here in verse 28, Christ was sacrificed once. A powerful statement to the completed work of Christ on the cross. The bearing of sin has been dealt with for all eternity. To take away the sins of many people, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. At the second coming of Christ, our Saviour will be coming for those who he has saved. Verse 
who are waiting for him. Who are these many people who are waiting for him? The answer is back in verse 15, those who are called to receive the promised eternal inheritance. Have you heard God's call? When I was 18 years old, what Christ's blood had done was explained to me from God's word. The joy, relief and gratitude I felt as I confessed my faith in Jesus Christ, answering God's call. The debt of my sins had been washed away. My guilty conscience was cleansed. I felt freedom. I was hungry to read his word. I committed myself to growing as a disciple of Christ and serving him for the rest of my life. So do we see how perfect, beautiful and effective the new order is? In contrast to the priests of the old order yearning for the new and better way, so the new covenant, the new order, is Christ as the who, his perfect sacrifice as the what, with a permanent outcome of not only cancelling the debt of our sins, but also fully cleansing our consciences. For those of us stuck in the quicksand of guilt and shame, whether that was us now, in the past, or we know someone experiencing it, numb by it, what can it look like? Because sometimes it can lead to withdrawal, depression, escapism, such as excessive gaming, music, YouTube, overeating, overworking, trying to please others, so many unhealthy paths. As an elder here in this congregation for over 25 years, I have seen and shared the hurt and pain that many of us have experienced in the messiness of life. Also the attempts to deal with guilt and shame of past and current sin. There is only one way that works, to come to God, knowing we bring nothing of any merit in ourselves and to receive what God has superabundantly provided to us through Christ's blood. Not only the complete payment for our sins, but by the washing of his blood, cleansed our consciences. We are free to serve the living God, to love him with all our heart, mind and soul, to serve him with the gifts and abilities he has given us, to be ambassadors for Christ, to serve, to offer every part of our life and body as our worship of God. Let us reflect on this. For even if we are convinced Christ has paid the penalty for our sins, have we embraced that he has cleansed our guilty consciences? Are we in any way held back by guilt and shame of past sins? arising from past and present relationships, actions, lifestyles, addictions, or even an unhealthy fear that judgment will still come on me because I imagine my sin was so great that it, it is unforgivable. We are not alone. Think of how the apostles Peter and Paul were mortified 
at remembrance of what they had done. Peter denying Jesus not once but three times, then weeping bitterly. Paul actively persecuting Christians and putting them in prison and to their death. He described himself as the chief of sinners. They, just as now for each one of us, know not only are our sins forgiven, but our consciences are cleansed. We are fully right with God through Christ's blood. The Lord then powerfully used Peter and Paul and the other apostles to spread the good news of the gospel and to establish the early church. How is God going to use each of us? For we now serve the living God. Can we now say with the Apostle Paul that we are running the race, not shuffling or feeling as though we are stuck in any swamp, but throwing off everything that hinders? The Lord has thrown off our guilty consciences through the washing of Christ's blood. We have to remember this. If Jesus has done this, he has. If some of us are still trying to serve God, still stuck in the mud, burdened by guilt and shame, we will not be able to. Instead, it is the other way around. God has lifted our burden, so we are free to serve him. If you are feeling stuck, please speak with someone after the service. Me, the elders, our ministers, the person who brought you here, speak with them, pray with them. If you have not yet answered God's call, make today the day you do this. Have you already put your trust in Jesus Christ, but have been stuck with a guilty conscience of past sin? But you want to run with freedom. When feeling burdened by guilt and shame and wanting to keep things hidden, God has fully seen them and fully forgiven you, freed you by Christ's blood. He has washed your guilty consciences. Jesus is the solution by faith in him alone. So when you do have a sin flashback now, you now know what to do. Receive this gift God has given you of cleansing our consciences by Christ's blood, by grace alone. Thank God daily that he has done this by faithfully trusting in God's word. Think and act in accordance with his assurance. He has cleansed your conscience. You are free to serve the living God. That hindrance has been thrown off. We are no longer stuck in any swamp or quagmire. We are now running on firm ground because of Christ's blood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for rescuing us from the slavery of sin that in your abundant love provided Christ's sacrifice for us not only the payment for our sins, but by the washing of his blood, cleansed our consciences. We stand in awe of your majesty, grace and love, that through Christ's blood, you have called us, rescued us and adopted us as your sons and daughters in Christ. 
Heavenly Father, we want to serve you, the living God. So let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, our precious Lord and Saviour. Amen.